Good morning and welcome to Friday morning, July the 9th in 2021 on Winter Eyes. We are currently getting towards the end of year B, proper week 10, which for those keeping score is the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. And on Friday of the week, we like to take a look at the gospel text. And this part of the Revised Common Lecture has us going through the Gospel of Mark. So we're back in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. Instead of verses 1 through 13, like last week, we're going to be in verses 14 through 29 as we kind of work through that middle part of Mark's versions of the stories of Jesus. So let me read that passage for about a couple points for reflection. Then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making this part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. So, so some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And so others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead? For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother's, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I'll get up to you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the one request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of God for us. Sometimes in order to help communicate something clearly, you gotta lay that thing next to something else to compare and contrast. And I think this is what the story of John the Baptist and his beheading is in the Gospels. I mean, there's no doubt that John is a character, he's a main character, and so it's important to tie off his story. But there seems to be, that when we look at the placement of how it lands in the order, it's important for us to kind of keep reading after this story and not to uh, push the story away to catch our breath because of how grisly and devastating this story is. But we have to look further back because there's a way in which the gospel writers took the story of King Herod and his fate with John the Baptist, and they want to compare it to another king who threw another party to try to impress the people in his kingdom, and he made an oath, and it turned out to be a trap that was laid upon himself. 
Of course, we're talking about the book of Esther and King Xerxes. When he had this great party and he wanted to uh, use uh, his wife's beauty to, I don't know, impress his friends and she refused. And so um, he had to do something about it, take matters into his own hands. And he had all this fuss and all these problems because uh, of this uh, wild, brash uh, thing that he did to try to impress others. And so Mark and the other gospel writers say, hey, when you look at this story, I want you to look back because this seems to be not just a one-time thing for this one crooked king, but this is something that power seems to do to people, particularly as they want to prosecute the people of God. Uh, They lay a trap for themselves that ultimately uh, sows a whirlwind, and it hurts them in the end. So not only that, but I think he wants us to look at the very next page, because here you have like the king of Israel, King Herod, and what he does at his parties, but then the very next story, is uh, Jesus what he does at his parties. Uh, Instead of taking, instead of being brash and boastful, uh, Jesus feeds and he nourishes and he lifts up the plight of the poor. Instead of exploiting somebody else for his own gain, Jesus provides for the needs of others, right? And so here you have this juxtaposition, a big word that we use in biblical study circles at times. If you want to see the depth of who Jesus is, let's put him side by side to the other king option in this world. And if you want to see how bad King Herod is and with it like the deplorable state of Israel at the time, then you need to put next to the true king, the son of God, and can see why that it is advantageous to lift up Jesus as a rescuer of Israel and also the rescuer of the world because... Uh, Israel needed help just as the rest of the world needs help. And so I think this is something for us to think about because uh, we tend to get tunnel vision at times about things that are going on in our big complex world out there. And because of that, because of the tyranny of the urgent, we tend to settle for, you know, something that it may not be so bad. I mean, maybe some alternatives could be worse. And so we just get cozy with it. Instead of taking our faith in our own hands and all the guts in our hearts and say, hey, we actually need to probably imagine and to begin to wonder about something that it could get better and better than this. Not just a little bit better, not just something to pacify us, not just something to get us by, but restored and healed. I mean, that's the narrative. The narrative of the Bible is that God, there's a marriage between heaven and earth. God is orchestrating this great marriage. Jesus and his resurrection is like the centerpiece of it all. And so... It is not a piece of our faith to say, well, we're just going to settle for good enough for now. No, like, I don't know, man, the the people of God, we see it page after page from Genesis all the way through the maps. Uh, We have to begin to dream and envision and and begin to practice out and to live out a kingdom that is of much greater hope than just enough to get by. And so how do we do that? We look to Jesus, right? I mean, uh, we don't look to, we look past the Herods in life and we call them for what they are. They're just not good guides. But there is a good guide that we're not left without hope. And Jesus is the one whom we can follow because, well, there's two parties out there, two invitations that have landed in our mailbox. There's one for King Herod and his parties, and there's one for King Jesus and his parties. And it would seem advantageous for us to want to go to King Jesus' parties and to uh, say, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, to King Herod and all of his parties and all their manifestations in our world. And so I think it starts with prayer. It starts with wonder. As we pray, we don't just ask for things, but we also say, God, stoke my imagination 
for what um, a Jesus type gathering might look like in my day and time. Uh, we see some bits of it here in Mark chapter 6, 30 and following. Um, but what might that be for today uh, or this weekend coming up or with my group of friends or in my part of town? How can we enact uh, what we see Jesus doing on these pages in the gospel? So with that in mind, let's spend our time praying and then asking God to stoke our imaginations this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we confess to you this morning that we need your help because we have been so shaped in our thinking to uh, only imagine that things are just going to get maybe a little bit better and that we're going to have to tolerate uh, just unfortunate things and we're going to have to uh, just smile and nod and um, passively, aggressively exhale with uh, leaders that don't help us and we seem to think that uh, this is going to be just as good as it gets. Like it might just get a little bit better, but it won't be what we always have dreamed of, dreamed of. But God, we thank you that reading the scripture and worshiping and praying is a faith action because it causes us to get a glimpse of a greater world that's arriving among us. We thank you for the grand story of the Bible, that there's going to be a marriage of heaven and earth, that you're blending it all together, and that Jesus is at the center of it all, making the whole event happen. We thank you for resurrection, that things don't uh, always just end up in the tomb and stay there, but they make a comeback. And so, God, uh, we pray for all the different um, pieces of our society that need resurrection. We pray for it in politics and the way we relate with one another and business and corporations and banking uh, habits and uh, processes, um, the way in which uh, people are trained for jobs, uh, the way that people, we parent our kids, uh, the way that we teach them in schools, God, all these things. There are great signs of hope. There's also great room for improvement and for, and, uh, for things to progress and get better. And so God, uh, may we resist the temptation to throw up the shoulders and say, it's just, it is what it is. But we thank you that our faith causes us to be stirred for action. And so God, in the middle of budget meetings and committee meetings and interviews and perusing articles and in conversations with neighbors and friends, I pray that you would stoke our imaginations to crave more and to crave the resurrection life, the fully orbed peace that you promised the world that's coming, that's arriving, that's coming. And so God, I pray that we would be advanced copies of what this looks like to be participants in that so that people could also have a glimpse and begin to wonder and begin to dream, begin to act out this life that is truly life. So God, we love you. We thank you for the gift of salvation, which causes us to be able to participate in your new world in advance. And so God, I pray that we would make the most of that opportunity today. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.